0: Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, this is your host Brayden. and today I am joined by a new but fast friend, Luisa Alberto. How are you doing? Great. Okay, beautiful. So, uh, Luisa, I'm going to read your bio, and I think I'll probably like stop a couple times while I'm reading it to ask you some like really quick questions. How's that sound?
1: That sounds perfect.
0: Okay, awesome. So, you are the CEO of People First Finance a complete financial service solution for women agency owners and service providers with almost 20 years of finance and operations experience working alongside visionary leaders of successful startups. You've also founded multiple businesses. You mentioned that you founded a brick and mortar business. What was that about?
1: That was a made-to-order juice bar in San Francisco. Um, Bootstrapped it and set it up at the San Francisco Ferry Building.
0: Wow. And did you get that to like a profitable place despite what I can only imagine the rent costs were in San Francisco?
1: No, we did not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That could be interesting to chat more about. Maybe, maybe we can weave that into a, a does that in also inform why you're so passionate about talking finances with other business owners?
1: It actually does. That's how I earned my stripes.
0: Okay, cool, cool. So super interesting. Um, I do not envy anyone trying to start any kind of brick or mortar or anything. So It's uh, good that you have experience in that. Okay, so you've done multiple businesses, brick and mortar consulting. So we have the juice bar to consulting and coaching over the past decade. Your mission is to ease the financial burden and overwhelm that holds too many ambitious, uh, enterprising women back from achieving financial autonomy. Well, we love that. I think you're going to be a great fit for the podcast. So talk to us a little bit about... um, how long did you do the juice bar and what was the process like, like after that, did you transit, were you like, all right, I'm closing the doors today, starting financial coaching tomorrow? What that looked like?
1: <laughs> so, um, we had to close our doors and I actually had to declare bankruptcy. I don't usually come out with this like big bang, but we're just going to bring it. Okay. Uh, because I talk very openly about this. A lot of people don't, I do, um, it was a really incredible learning process for me. And so, um, so closed our doors. I was in a partnership at the time and we all know how difficult or challenging it can be to work with other people um, wow. as founders, as partners in a business. Um, and it really started as a labor of love. So we learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, so we had to close that. We had to close it abruptly and swiftly because it was not profitable. Um, we were carrying a lot of debt and I was like, I don't wanna carry this debt into the next decade. I really just want this story to end here. Um, And so pulled the bankruptcy um, move, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk about um, if that's relevant, but made that move and then just leveraged all of the lessons through that endeavor and all of the work that I had done before because people started asking questions. Um, and so I started helping and that was sort of a natural segue into one-to-one coaching and consulting.
0: Okay. So I actually do have some bankruptcy questions because I feel like as an attorney, it's something I should should know about, but it's not something I actually do really know much about at all. How does that work when you're declaring bankruptcy specifically for a business? Because it's not, are you filing like a business bankruptcy or it's a personal bankruptcy?
1: So for our business, the way that we were set up and the, the debt that we were carrying, we had loans. Um, and unbeknownst to us at the time, we were young. I mean, this is many years ago. So this was our first, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed endeavor. Um, and unbeknownst to us for all of the loans through through banks, through, you know, whatever lenders, they were all personally guaranteed. Yeah. So a lot of times when we take on debt, we don't think about these things, right? We're just like, we want the money. It's going to work. Everything's going to be great. Um, And we had, then when it came time where things weren't looking so great and we had this option on the table, we really had to understand what is our liability. And that's when we realized that we were both personal guarantors for the loans and the debt that we had secured. Um, So it had to be a personal bankruptcy.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, because I was thinking as you're kind of talking through this, I was like, is there even such thing as a business bankruptcy? I don't know if you know the answer to that, but if not, it's something I should probably There
1: is, but I think the the way we were set up as an LLC, we weren't a C-Corp, we weren't like, there was no true distinction And this. A lot of people don't know about this. You think, oh, I have an LLC. I'm totally protected from anything that happens to the business, does not happen to me, and it's just not true, as you know. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a, a stiff enough line drawn there for us to be protected from something like that,
0: yeah, that that makes sense because, I mean, I would think about it in terms of like an LLC is the pass through organization. So it's your own tax liability, right? It makes sense you're also going to be liable for the debt. Um, so I'm sure you had some trials and tribulations with that because the main thing, bankruptcy, obviously can give you a fresh start, but it also, it also is like pretty rough on your credit and all that kind of stuff, right? Which is why people don't just go into it willy-nilly, that's my understanding. Well, the
1: thing is, I had impeccable credit before I went into this. I had spent years studying personal finance. Like I was in an excellent personal financially, like personal finance situation. It was just the business. So it's actually quite easy to apply for a credit card and start building credit very soon after I okay. declared bankruptcy. So I think that's also something that people think, oh, it's going to be, it's going to destroy me and my credit's going to, and it's like, no, it, it doesn't have to be that way. There are options out there for you to start building your credit back up pretty quickly.
0: Nice. Yeah. I shared on this podcast, how I started at the ripe old age of, I think 31, two years ago, uh, got a $200 secured credit card secured credit card what I couldn't believe and this is kind of a side tangent but I just I tell the story because I it's it's embarrassing but I also think it's funny when I was in law school I got denied for a secured credit card that's how bad my credit was like I did not even know that was possible right
1: I didn't either (laughs)
0: yeah so for everyone listening like a secured credit card is when you like eat you mail a check to the credit card company and the check was two hundred dollars, and then your credit limit is two hundred dollars, and then they refund you the two hundred dollars once you cancel the credit card. So I'm like prepaying for the line of credit, and I still got denied. So <laughs> uh, credit is credit is wild. So I'm I'm what I'm interested in. Once you started doing uh, this one-on-one coaching and consulting, what was kind of. Um, I'm going to try to phrase this question the best way that I can, but what was like your cornerstone philosophy? Like what was the banner on your website? What was like the core message you were trying to communicate to people as you started doing that?
1: I love that question. I guess like, I I didn't really know at the time, but in retrospect, I think it was like, there is no one way. There is no right way. Like, and that's been really a cornerstone of my work ever since I started is like, what's important to you? What's your vision for your life? What are your goals? And how can you really structure your financial world to support your vision and your goals?
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. In hindsight, like going into the juice bar, uh, if you like, we're going to go into that again, like what were the numbers that you think? Okay, let, let me try to rephrase this. Do you think you could go into it now with the foresight to say, like, based on the rent, based on the cost of goods, based on this, like, it just wouldn't work? Or do you think if you went into it now, there are certain things you could do diff- differently that would make it work?
1: The, what didn't work about it is that, okay, <clears throat> so if you know the San Francisco Ferry Building, it's like foodie mecca, right? Like, people come from all over to taste, like, the most incredible produce and, you know, goods from Northern California, right? So that was our due north. It was like, we need to be at the ferry building. So there was a little bit of vanity there, but also it had the second highest foot traffic count in San Francisco after Union Square. And so we were like, it should be a slam dunk. But the space we were in was really tiny. Uh-huh. So we didn't actually have the like infrastructure and physical capability to produce the amount of revenue that we needed to not only cover all of our overhead, all of our debt, pay us, but have any any little teeny tiny margin for profitability like it was just not possible so there were a lot of different factors but like what we had wanted to do was have a bigger space right go all in but for that you need funding you need investors you need I mean it's a big expense it's a big risk and we just weren't in a place where we felt like we could do that I mean that would have been a larger I mean we should have done it in retrospect like we should have done it and then I would have declared bankruptcy after maybe having a little bit more money in my pocket. But um, yeah, there were a lot- brick borders, just so tricky. Yeah.
0: But it, it sounds like that's information that you probably just could not have had beforehand unless you had right. hired someone as maybe a consultant who had a lot of experience in this who could have like tipped you off, right?
1: Well, and I worked with a mentor who was incredible, who actually I have to give him a lot of credit. He was a mentor and an investor in the business. And he gave me a lot of Tools like cash flow projections, right? Like I had no idea how to do cash flow projections. He showed me how to do that, and so that helped me realize, okay, we're going to run off a cliff, right? So I actually was able to pull the plug a little bit sooner than us being in even like worse territory where yeah. we weren't able to pay employees or whatever it was, because I saw cash running out six to twelve months ahead of the time when it ran out. So things like that kept us going. And then I was able to leverage those tools for the, you know, the work that I, that came after.
0: And I'm assuming that you now do cash flow projections for your own clients. We do, yes. I don't personally,
1: I don't do, I'm not, I'm out of the client delivery. We can get into that, but like yes, we do, we run cash flow projections for our clients because they're really powerful.
0: Gotcha. All right. I definitely want to get into that, but I'm curious because I know I went and I looked on your website and I saw you offer a virtual CFO service. That's fabulous. I interviewed another virtual CFO um, a few months ago. So my audience should be kind of familiar with what that entails. Is that um, the only service that you offer or do you offer uh, like lower ticket services as well?
1: So we offer a um, done for you services and we offer advisory services. So our done for you services are specifically for agency owners and service providers, but our advisory services are for any type of business. Um, So brick and mortar, you know, coaching, consulting, product-based businesses, all of that. We can still analyze your numbers. It's just, as you might know, the accounting side of like e-commerce and product-based businesses is really tricky. Outsourcing that is really tricky. We've learned that lesson the hard way, but I learned Trick now. Um, <laughs> so we're really focusing our done-for-use services where it makes sense to outs have a complete outsourced accounting solution. Gotcha. Um, so those are the two services we offer.
0: Okay, because I saw you 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 kind of said that you uh specialize or pretty much only work with business owners at the 500k mark and above. Is that correct for the virtual service?
1: We brought that down a bit because Uh at about that 250k mark, I don't know if you've experienced it, something shifts where you're like, okay, it's not just me. There are other people that I'm responsible for. There are other tax strategies and ways that I can allocate this cash that's coming in so that it's, you know, works to my advantage. That's when those questions start coming in from folks. Um, So, 250k up um is really
0: our sweet spot. Nice. So what I was kind of getting at with that was um so if you have someone who wants to like maybe start a juice bar and talk to you about whether it's a good idea for you to do cash flow project cash flow projections that would be an advisory service, yeah? Yeah,
1: that'd be a special. Yeah, that'd be under advisory service. Okay, cool. Exactly.
0: That's really that's really good to know because that's obviously it's like, well, Sometimes we don't have any any revenue yet, but we might have money in the bank that we're willing to spend on consulting services to help us get off the ground. So that's fabulous. All right. Well, we are going to do a um, profit and loss P&L breakdown. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. Let's hit it. That's my terrible singing voice. The people are probably used to it. All right. So you have, um, this is up to, was this up to the end of August or beginning of August?
1: It should be this fiscal through the end of August.
0: Okay, cool. Through end of August, uh, 161800 So we'll just round up to $162,000 in gross revenue. What? Let me make sure, okay. I have this open on Asana and I think it's like cutting part of it off. So I'm uh-huh. going to go back to my email. Okay, there we go. Now I see income sales, and services. So you have on here sublines for sales and a line for services. What's the difference between those two numbers?
1: So we have our retainer clients that pay us on a monthly basis. And then there are also times where we'll do um, special projects or workshops or things like that. So those are just two buckets to distinguish between monthly retainer and other services.
0: Okay. So I'm assuming the really big chunk are your monthly retainer clients.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, so one hundred and fifty-seven thousand there, and then like around five thousand dollars, and more of. It sounds like like more one-off kind of projects. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of like what your company structure and team looks like? Like who's on your team and what do they do?
1: Yeah. So we're an agency. So how we're set up is it's me, and then we have a team of bookkeepers and accountants. There are four. Um, so three bookkeepers and one CPA. Um, We also subcontract a tax professional for the tax piece, tax component of our services. Um, And then I have a director of operations and a VA. So that's our full team currently.
0: Okay. How many people was that?
1: I think we're eight total right now.
0: Okay. Eight total, including yourself.
1: Including myself.
0: All right. You have a line on your PL for wages. Are you the only one on payroll or do you have some of the other people on your team on payroll?
1: There are two of us on payroll. Great question. So I am an employee. We are taxed as an S-corp and my accountant is an employee as well.
0: Okay. So you, I'm going to put that in my notes so I don't forget you and uh, the accountant. All right. Beautiful. So then presumably your total contractor expense does not include your accountant then because they're on payroll. Correct. Okay. Awesome. Um, the people listening have probably heard me explain the difference between those two things many, many times, but I think it's always fun to get a fresh perspective. Can you give a brief explanation on like what the difference is practically speaking between like being on payroll and not being on payroll?
1: Yeah, so for us, our contractors are really they're bookkeepers who own their own businesses. We're one of their clients. They just potentially work on multiple clients with people first, um, but they run their own businesses. Um, they do it on their own time. They're paid an hourly rate um, for services versus my employee who is also involved in some of the operations work we have to do, thinking with me and being strategic about how we're building out our advisory services. Um, so a lot more. Um, Company-specific deliverables that aren't just related to like accounting deliverables get rolled up into my employees' work. Um, so we we try to keep that line very clear um, because it's easy to get it blurred. And one, so one of our contractors, what we usually do is we start people off as contractors for the first ninety days. If it seems like there's more there, than there where they can really contribute more to the company and they want to engage more and have more of a like. Um, uh, what's it called? Like investment with the company. Mm-hmm. Then we discuss bringing them on as an employee, but we keep that line pretty clear.
0: Nice. And how did you find all of your people?
1: All through networking, um, just meeting people, talking to folks. There is a community of bookkeepers and accountants who are very into bookkeeping and accounting, who are looking at all the snazzy tools and comparing notes and asking questions about how they handle different things for their clients. And we are in that community. Um, So people who not only want to do the accounting work, but also want to contribute to the mission of People First Finance. And I think that really draws people in too.
0: Nice. Nice. I ask A, because I think generally people like to know, but B, I also just put an Indeed post up two days ago and I'm at 93 (laughs) applications.
1: Oh my gosh. I can't do that. I like, I have to go through my network first because Uh that feels overwhelming to me so you can find really incredible candidates so we'll eventually have to do that but we haven't had to yet
0: yeah this is what my HR consultant recommended to me because we're looking for someone like not really in online business and someone who's looking for more of a traditional employee role so we'll see I'll I'll let you know how it goes I have a lot of resumes to sift through as you can imagine (laughs) uh all right, so tell tell us on your p and I'm assuming that you review do you review your p and l monthly? I do. Does one of your um, contractors do your bookkeeping for the business?
1: No, I actually use collective for my oh. bookkeeping, okay, for many different reasons, but yes, yeah, that's who I use.
0: okay, awesome. why why do you what are those reasons?
1: One, I I don't feel, I don't know, it's just me, but I don't feel comfortable with having somebody on my team, like be in the details like that. I kind of, I like the line of separation. Like I'm very transparent about our numbers, as you can see, and with my team, but I don't need to be a client for myself. Like that feels like, I don't know, it feels too close. So I work with Collective. One, because I wanted to spy on them and see how they work, (laughs) like how good they are, like, you know, and they've really, I've been with them for, since I started my business, they helped me incorporate or helped me elect as a, as an S corp. And so part of it is like learning from how someone else does it because we have similar business offerings. Um, But the other side is like, it's really affordable and I know what questions to ask. So if they get something wrong or if there's something that needs to change on the p I just tell them and they do it. So it's like nice. having admin support for like under $300 a month. It's wonderful.
0: Okay, cool, cool. Well, that's, that's super interesting. Uh, so when you get your PL from Collective, what are the things that like you immediately look to?
1: First, I look to make sure that revenue is captured properly because that's a biggie. Um, so I make sure there's nothing double counted, that all makes sense, that all revenue was received. Um, and it's categorized properly. So that's first. Second, I've been working on this because we've had different contractors come in over the course of the year, <clears throat> but I look to make sure that all of our contractors, and I'm still working on that, are organized. Like I know who is what, how much I'm spending on contractors that relate directly to client work. So billable contractors, like our bookkeeping team and our accountant versus overhead and ops. So like our contractors that are working just on operations, that's my director of operations and my VA. Um, so I make sure that that all looks right. Um, and then I also check the balance sheet to make sure that there aren't any, sometimes they do adjusting journal entries. I mean, as an S Corp, we have accountable plans and you know, we run payroll, but we take distributions. Like it can be a little bit complicated if you don't know how all of those things need to show up properly on the PL and the balance sheet. So, I make sure that all of those journal entries and all of that um, also looks accurate on that report as well.
0: Nice. Okay, awesome. I would love to break down these contractor expenses a little bit more. Um, I noticed that you have, okay, so you have a few different lines, right? And you've kind of mentioned this a moment ago, but I think we'll need to we'll need to break it down a little bit more. So you have contractors, and then you have accounting subcontractors, bookkeeping subcontractors, and financial specialist. Who would fall into the just general contractors category?
1: So ideally, the just general contractors is an operations expense, and so that's where my director of operations and VA expense would go. Any of the contractors that do billable work, um, like I said, so bookkeepers who are working on you know client uh, account reconciliations and transaction categorization, that sort of thing, that should all be contractors. Um, that are related to direct costs. I don't think it's set up that way yet because explaining that has been not easy (laughs) to somebody who's like in whatever country trying to work on my books. So that's one consideration. If you're thinking about working with an accounting agency like that, who isn't someone who's in your business and knows it better, that's a little tricky. So that's why it's been an ongoing process, but that's ideally how it would be set up. So I know what am I paying the contractors to do the billable work? versus which contractors am I carrying month over month as an expense that is unrelated to the billable work that we're doing.
0: Gotcha. So the con- you have contractors, 10K, that's your ops people. And then you have the like 3,000, 6,000, 7,000. Those are the subcategories for the people doing your billable work. Is that correct?
1: Yep, that's correct. Okay,
0: awesome. And then you have um, you have a section for legal and professional services and your virtual assistant is, I was interpreting the VA as a subcategory under legal and professional services, but that might, it might just have like a weird indentation. I'm not sure.
1: I think that's how they set it up. And then that may have been more recent. So again, still in cleanup process, because all of that's (laughs) tricky. It's like, you know, you call things, and this happens in accounting all the time. It's like, you set up a, you know, one month, the category that you set up makes sense. And then the next month something shifts and it doesn't, or there's a new role or somebody calls themselves something different. So this can get wild quickly, which is what has happened here. But um, but the, what was the one, the the head category over VA? Uh,
0: Legal and professional.
1: Right, so that totally separate. So that's my lawyer. Um, that's, you know, marketing consultant or strategist that should be like one-off sort of, um, projects hiring.
0: So we just need to bump your VA probably up right underneath contractors. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. (laughs) That's helpful. Um, I always tell my, like my students and my clients, I call these like, um, I mean, I don't even know if you would call it like a mistake. You probably just need to tell collective to move it, but I call it a tax a tax net neutral mistake meaning really it's just like you're looking at it in the wrong place but it's it's like a drag it's like a drag and drop situation it's not actually impacting like the overall bottom line of your pnl or your taxes at all right
1: which is why i'm like this doesn't need to take up so much of my time
0: (laughs) but i usually do
1: like an end of year or end of quarter like okay let's clean this up and we just haven't gotten there yet
0: Yes. Okay. So what I'm curious about, like what I'm super curious about is if you have, if you shoot for like a certain percentage you like for these contractors, like contractor uh, expenditures to be under, like in comparison to your overall revenue.
1: Yes. So the way, so context, this is our first Full year in business. This is actually, it's been a year this week that we have been in business as a full service agency. Um, And so we pulled some of the clients that I had over from my coaching and consulting, which is what was sort of our baseline, took on a few other clients. But this whole last half of the year has been a lot about capacity building. So we've spent more to build a team in the last two, three months that can support doubling the revenue that we have and so it's been less about keeping that contractor expense at a certain place now and more about making sure that we have the contractors we need to double our revenue so that then that percentage that expense percentage as as a percentage of revenue falls as revenue increases if that makes sense yeah. I'm like a visual person. I'm making like hand <laughs> signs, but nobody can see that. Yeah, you're
0: doing you're doing uh, line graphs like with your arms.
1: <laughs> I yes. love
0: that. Well, because I was actually going to say, I think the percentages you're at already are like pretty, pretty great. I was like doing math as you were talking. Your ops people, if you do your contractor line and your VA line totals 19,000. And then your delivery people, the accountant, the bookkeeping and the financial person total 17,000. So you're at- Seventeen thousand, and I rounded all these numbers. Of course, you're at thirty-six thousand total in comparison to one hundred and sixty-one thousand in revenue, which was what, like thirty percent.
1: Yes, and so as far as like targets go, my target labor Cogs costs of goods So target direct labor. So that's the accountants and bookkeepers who are doing billing I want that to be 40% or less of gross revenue. That's my target. And then for operating expenses, I want that to be 20% or less of gross revenue. So that's what we're aiming for as we scale. Did you say 40%? Operating expenses at 20% and total labor, 40% or less of gross revenue.
0: Oh, well you're like way under that now, yeah? Am I? Yeah. So, you're at 17,000 for the year on like 161,000 gross revenue, which is 11% for your services people.
1: I hope that's accurate because in my mind, I'm like, that's low. (laughs) (laughs) The last couple of months, though, we hired um, a senior bookkeeper. So, my mind is on like what. August, September, October will be, will look a little bit different because that expense has increased significantly.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, trust and belief. I know I operated at like 0% profit, like the summer months. Cause I've been spending a lot of money, basically getting, it's not really a new business. I'm like revamping a lot of things and spending, spending a lot of money, which, you know,
1: there, there are seasons.
0: Yeah. Yes, I think seasons is the key word, right? Because as much as I harp on profit, then it's like embarrassing to come on the podcast and be like, I made no money this month. But it's uh, investing a lot of money in two months in order to have my biggest revenue months of the year, hopefully in November and December, while going back to my like typical expense expenses. So
1: bada bang. There
0: it is. Yeah. I'm going to look at like 70% profit for six months, 0% profit for three months, and then hopefully like 85% profit for two months.
1: I love it. What's the average on that? It sounds good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Hopefully, hopefully we'll get to like 65 to 70% profit by the end of the year. But that does not actually, this is a good question for you. Um, When I talk about my profit, I do not include my own salary, which I know is like technically not correct. How do you feel about that?
1: I like to include it because I do think I would absolutely need to replace me with somebody if I were like deuces. Yeah. Um, so I do like to just, I err on the side of being conservative in my um, view, but yeah. Yes. So I include
0: it. Okay. Do you want to hear how I set up my P&L for myself and my students? Yes, please. Okay. So what I do is I call it... Um, all like business, uh, business income minus expenses, not including owner salary. I call that uh, owner profit because it's my beneficial profit, like basically of the business. And then I deduct my salary. And then I call that business profit, which is then as an S corp, like what goes on the tax line.
1: I love that.
0: It's fun, right? So
1: Clean and simple. Yes. I love that.
0: The other thing I look at is um, a simple pie chart divided in thirds. So we'll do your pie chart in a second. But the pieces of the pie are simply business expenses, not including salary, owner salary, and then business profit. Because then I feel like that gives a really clean breakdown of like what the business is actually doing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I'm all for visuals. I feel like it's hard to talk about whenever I talk about these things, it's like I'm looking at something like a picture in my mind and I'm describing it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah.
1: That's how my brain works. So otherwise it feels really yeah. ambiguous. But.
0: That's why I really like doing the pie, because like I come primarily from a tax perspective. Right. So I'm like, well, the expense portion of your pie, we don't pay tax on that. Right. The owner salary portion of the pie, when you have an S Corp, we pay income and self employment tax on. And then the profit portion of the pie, you only pay income tax and not self employment tax on. Um, the question is like, are you actually getting that profit to yourself or are you just leaving it in your bank? You're paying taxes on it either way. But it's something exactly. Talk about. I love okay. it. Super, super fun. Um, what let's look at some of these other lines. See if I can find some question meal expenses, $300. Always a fun one. That's pretty low. You're not like writing off every single lunch that you have every day. I presume. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I? I, think it, I think it's so funny because I have some clients who will report like $28 a year in meal expenses. And then other people will be at like 15,000. And it always seems like people skew one way or the other with how conservative they want to be with that line item
1: no, well, and it's true. It's like, now that we're back out in the world, whenever I get a chance, I have to, it's like, you have to get the muscle memory to be like, it's okay for this to be a business expense. I think a lot of people struggle with that, especially women I found in my experience they are on the side of like, oh no, but how am I going to explain it? It's like, it doesn't really work that way. Like, you'll be all right if you buy that sandwich. Like, it's gonna yeah. be okay. Yeah, um, get, yeah, get
0: the sandwich, get the sandwich. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like- Oh, I could go down a whole rabbit hole with that. But it's all, it's all right. Re- Here's the thing. Like if you ever got audited, like, yes, there's like, there are technical black and white rules, but a lot of it comes down to like reasonableness. And at the end of the day, $300 in comparison to $160,000 in revenue is like a pretty small amount, but like nothing's going to get triggered in the IRS database. Exactly. <laughs> with that. So like probably no one's going to look on it unless you're one of the very, very, very unlucky people to get selected for random audit, which I don't even know with how short staffed the IRS if they even do that anymore.
1: Yeah. It's coming though. Right. I see all this news about them staffing up. It's coming. Yeah.
0: Yeah, They used to just like pull a certain number of people, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. At the end of the day, you hire someone like Louisa, someone like me, we get your finances in order. Uh, You get audited and you're like, here's my shit. Like what? Exactly. (laughs) And what? And what? All right. (laughs) So you have a line item for uh, health insurance through payroll, $1,200. Is that, um, do you mind answering? Is that your health insurance or your other employees' health insurance?
1: That's my health insurance.
0: Okay, cool. So you run that through your escort payroll, which is beautiful, because then you're saving self-employment taxes on your health insurance, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, we love that. Do you have uh, any kind of uh, IRAs, uh, like a SEP IRA or simple IRA yet?
1: I do have, I have an IRA, um, but I actually went the HSA route, um, sort of doubling down on that this year. So I have both, I'm not yet at at a place where a SEP would be like, would make a big
0: shift, um,
1: next year maybe. Um, so that's the next step.
0: Okay. I actually, so hopefully none of my listeners get lost on this. If you all follow great. If you don't follow, post it on my Facebook group and we can chat about it more, get into the details, but You and I both know that when you have an S-corp, your salary must be reasonable, right? Reasonable. The lower your salary is, the more you save in taxes, but it can't go too low because it has to be reasonable. So I was trying to figure out for a while, and I was like asking people in Facebook groups, and no one could give me an answer. I was like, well, what if my salary is $50,000? But I just put like all 50,000 of it, like into a simple IRA. Like, does that count as my reasonable salary? And it turns out the answer is like, probably no, but I still haven't found a definitive answer on that because, you know, when you contribute your health insurance. So everyone, if you determine your reasonable salary is $50,000 your health insurance contribution like, counts towards that, basically. So then that means you can put yourself on payroll for $45,000 and put the other $5,000 towards your health insurance. The retirement doesn't sound like it works the same way.
1: I'm so glad that you asked that question or even thought about that. I feel like a lot of tax accountants or tax people are not that creative. I love that you
0: well, I'm like, I have to figure out, is there a law on this somewhere? Or could you at least, I'm sure they wouldn't let you contribute like 20,000 a your 50,000. But maybe if you're doing like 500 a month to max out like a Roth IRA, like they would let that count. I don't, I don't know. Or you could argue for it.
1: Yeah. I don't know, but I love where you're going with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if you break it out, it's like, if you're paying yourself $500 a month and then you're putting what, like, we'll say, we'll just you know, round up on the high side, say $500 a month for health insurance, $500 a month for retirement. And then like a thousand of that's going to taxes. So then, you know, you're left with 3000. Like that's, that's yeah. how it works. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, what else do we want to, Oh, you have a line item for client gifts on your P and L that's fun around $650. What are you sending to your clients?
1: So, I'm really big on gift certificates, like food gift certificates. (laughs) I feel like people like free meals, free food. Food is so expensive these days. So, a lot of that um, welcome gifts we do. Now, I know there's like a $25 per threshold kind of thing going on here. So, I will get savvy and create some marketing, you know, some people first, branded, et cetera, because I know that then that's a marketing expense. So, We'll get there, but I, I need that to be good stuff. I don't need that to be stuff that like, you know, creates more garbage in the world. So, um, yeah. So anytime I can love on clients, I do like put it there.
0: <laughs> this was actually a conversation I had, uh, when I was on Claire's podcast, we talked about, she asked me about the client gift, $25 limitation. And I was like, well, yes, but I was like, how do you differentiate between a client gift and a marketing expense? And then also how do you differentiate between a gift and a product that comes along with your service? So for example, Ooh. if you can see behind me these books back here, these are textbooks for my group program. And so I mail people like the books if they do like pay in full for my program or something like that. And I'm like, some people might call that a gift, but I'm like, no, it's included as part of the offer, right? So like that's not a gift expense. And then other circumstances, like you're talking about where you're um, doing like the marketing, it's a little bit different as well.
1: I know. It's a little, yeah. It's a little, I, I know there's a line there. And I'm like, also not high on the priority list. I'm just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to like love out my clients, to make sure yeah, yeah, they yeah, enjoy yeah. it and call it a day. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is not something I'm suggesting that you worry about. It's more just an interesting conversation point, right? Totally. For, the people, for the people listening. All right. Well, okay. I thought I would maybe have more questions on your PL. I don't, because I think your PL is like really. Well, streamlined, right? Like it's not super complicated. There's not a ton of categories, but that has actually spurred like one specific question that might be the last PL question. But then I'm going to ask you some other questions too. So you're not off the hook yet. Um, <laughs> so you have in income, like we mentioned this at the top, you only have two subcategories, but this big one for sales, $157,000. Is that because you really only are offering like one product high service and that's just how streamlined your offer structure is? Or do you break this down kind of like further in your brain, uh, maybe outside the P&L with different stuff you're offering?
1: <clears throat> so for this past year, it's been a little bit of finding our way, right? Like just last month or the month before is when we doubled down and said we're just serving agency owners and service providers with this done for you service and with this advisory service. Like that just happened, that level of clarity. Nice. So now it would behoove us to track what those monthly retainers are for our done for you services versus what the payments are for advisory services just to get a sense of that. Um, so that's what we'll need to do moving forward. Plus we also do like workshops or you know one-off things. So I can see three revenue categories coming up um, or shifts in the chart of accounts. Um, but nothing more than that. That's really how simple it needs to be.
0: Okay, beautiful. I ask because at this point, I have like probably 12 subcategories <laughs> in, in my <laughs> own PL, more than that, but I condense them into certain things. So we're in a process right now of streamlining our offers as well. Uh, is that something you work on a lot with your own clients? Like, do you look at the PLs with them and you're like, all right, we got a lot of stuff going on here? Like, do you oh, yes. have 50 offers?
1: That's literally the first thing we do is we look at their P&L and we're like, is this intelligible? Like, is this actually giving us information or is it making us want to like slam our laptop down and walk away? Like, so it needs to be useful. So that's one of the first things we do whenever we bring on a new client is we do that initial diagnostic of looking at their chart of accounts. You know, do we have too many? Do we have to like, what do we need to see here? Um, and we make those adjustments off the bat because otherwise the data is useless if it's useless, right? Like you need to be able to open it up and get a sense of how things are going. And if you can't do that, then what's the point?
0: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like the IRS doesn't even care to see income categories. They just want an income dollar amount. So from there, it's just all like, what makes the most sense for digesting your own financials and making strategic decisions?
1: Exactly. And we use that data for our clients because you want to get an understanding of, oh, well, if we have all these, you know, retainer clients, and it usually takes us this much work, and then we added advisory, we added something else, how did our labor costs, you know, how are our labor costs affected by that, you want to be able to see that, right? Yeah. So that's the only reason why I'm like, I would break it out because each of those different revenue streams requires a different level of um, labor or direct costs associated with providing that service.
0: What's the biggest issue or mistake you see like you or your team sees when looking at the P&Ls for your clients? Is it like not enough detail, too much detail?
1: A lot of like duplicated accounts. So like, like sort of how the mess in mind where it's like, oh, well, you could just call this VA, like, you know, you could put that person here. So a lot of like, one time uh, an expense came through and you categorized it this way yeah. and then it came through again, but it cat- it was categorized another way. So a lot of sloppiness like that, although we use Keeper and that helps us yeah. eradicate those duplications pretty seamlessly. And
0: to be clear, that little nuance we found on your P&L, ex- extraordinarily minimal compared to what you're probably seeing with your incoming clients.
1: <laughs> yes, that is very true. Um, yeah. So a lot of that, and then also like pulling like over like, Accounts that historically were important, but have just like stayed there. They're they're not active anywhere really. They're just like crowding the P and L. So it's a lot of just cleanup, honestly. Yeah. And then from there, we could say, what does your business look like today? Great. Let's set up a chart of accounts in a P and L that actually reflects where your business is, is right now.
0: Yeah, I. One of the smallest things that like really frustrates me in my own books. Is I have, like, I mean, at this point, like most entrepreneurs, right? I probably own like 25 domains right? (laughs) And so every month in my bookkeeping, I probably have at least two domain charges and I buy all mine through Google. They're $12. So I have two $12 transactions. And then I also have Google workspace. And so at this point, I have just decided that every single charge I get from Google is getting classified as a marketing expense. Although I know that like a handful (laughs) of them are for my G suite, which like technically is not a marketing expense, but it's like, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's the thing, but it's fine. And there are some people who care and there are some accountants who care and there's stuff. And I'm just like, the, life is short. Like the world is big. These are yeah. not things that need to occupy our brain space. Like make the call and just call it a day. And if there's an issue down the line because we're trying to understand something and something looks off because it's been categorized incorrectly, we'll find it yes. when it matters. We don't need to worry about it before it does.
0: Especially because I'm thinking in my mind, this is like a one or 2% like- error at the end of the day and my bookkeeping. Now, if I have, so basically my rule is any charge from Google is just called marketing because I'm gonna have nine marketing $12 transactions to every one non-marketing transaction that's, guess what? Also usually $12 or maybe $15, so fine. Yep. But if I got a Google transaction or expense that's like $200, all right, well, we'll look and see what that is and make sure it goes into the right column.
1: Exactly. There yeah. you have it.
0: People like to um, I think just really kind of overcomplicate things.
1: Yes. Oh.
0: Okay. Do you mind if we break into your pie chart that I mentioned earlier? Let's do it. Okay, awesome. Who is calling me? I'll have to give them a call back in a moment. That's probably my dog's uh my dog's vet to let me know how many of her teeth are getting pulled today. Yes. 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 All right. So you have, um, do you want to give us a ballpark for what your own payroll salary is? Or do you just want me to take the total off your PL? Ooh,
1: uh, ballpark. I think my ballpark for salary is about 50 or okay. like all in salaries. So I think that's what my, I think that's what it should be.
0: Okay, cool. So 50,000 for the year or 50,000 like year to date on this PL?
1: Oh, for the year. So, yeah.
0: Um, Okay. So that would be 4,100 times eight. So, 33,300. Doing quick calculator math. So, then if we looked at your expense total of 142 and then just subtract the 33, your expenses other than salary would be 109. Does that sound right? Yeah. Sounds right. And then your, uh, Net. Okay. This is where I feel like I maybe get a little turned around. And then your profit after salary and expenses is the 19,000, right?
1: That sounds about right.
0: Okay, cool. So that's your pie chart. Like if we broke into thirds, 109,000 to expenses, 33,000 to salary, 19,000 to profit. So that all sounds really good. How does that feel like in comparison to where you hope to be now and where you hope to be in the future?
1: I mean, I had really big plans for this year and then I was like, I'm going to completely cripple my team and we don't have the <laughs> infrastructure to do like the big thing that I see us doing. So um, so we had to pull back, but I'm I'm very intentional about building a team that will scale. And so those numbers are great. And if we can... And we're setting ourselves up to be in a position to double our revenue. And the expenses that you see there will pretty much stay flat. They nice. may increase a bit, but they're projected to stay pretty flat. Um, and so that's what the next sort of 12-month cycle hopefully will look Fingers
0: like. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So if you double revenue next year, you can assume, you know, obviously like credit card processing fees are gonna go up. There's some things that are gonna go up like a little bit.
1: We don't even use... So we use ACH because we have monthly retainer clients. So we don't even incur... Like if you look at the... If there's a line for fees, like it's extraordinarily low because we just set everybody up through ACH.
0: Okay, well, shit. I'm going to have to think about that because I literally was going to set up all my client payments through Kajabi, which is like all credit card payment. No, don't do it.
1: And I could probably
0: (laughs) save like five grand if I didn't do that for my one-on-one clients. So we'll have to look into that. All right, so that is super cool. I I should know that already because I tell, I work with a a lot of one-on-one service providers who are doing, you know, like $5,000 photography packages and I tell them to take ACH payments. Okay. (laughs) It kind of got me shook there for a second. All right. So (laughs) revenue, uh, revenue doubles. Let's say that revenue doubles. That's fabulous. Are you going to like marginally increase your salary next year? If you're projecting that that will happen, you'll let collective let you know.
1: I think that I'm going to, look at profit more stra- more strategically and yeah. really think about how I can allocate that in a way that reduces tax liability, of course, and also, so, like, maybe it looks like instead of me taking more of a salary or whatever, being able to allocate more to max out my retirement accounts, my HSA, all of that, um, so that may be the next move, um, So it'll be much more about, okay, what is the profit and how are we strategically allocating that profit to reduce tax liability, make sure that the business has what it needs to be able to sustain the growth that we're experiencing. Um, And then also be able to like little things I want to do. Like I want to, I don't have benefits right now for my employees. I'd like to add that. Um, So there are some things that are in play that I'd like to be able to do as we start to see that profit margin increase.
0: Nice. All right. Cause that was going to be my next question is if you were expecting essentially all the extra money that you're making next year to go into the profit piece of this pie. And it sounds like that's where you're headed.
1: That's the plan. Yeah. Cause I think like, you know, profitability really is the name of the game, like for so many reasons. And I feel like if I can stay focused on that and build a business that really does like show very healthy profitability we how can we fail <laughs> yeah like the model works yay <laughs> You know.
0: do you have when it, when it comes to profitability and percentages do most of the clients you're bringing in um have issues with low profit or do you see some that have issues with high profit
1: i see some that have i don't know if it's issues with high profit so <clears throat> because we work with agencies they're a pretty stealth model, or they can be, right? Versus we're working with some product-based businesses, e-commerce businesses, where it's like, of course the margins are going to be much smaller, right? So for them, it's a margin issue. Like there are lower margins and cash flow is also an issue because of the timing of how things work for like a large e-commerce company versus an agency where if you do have projects or, you know, monthly retainer clients, like you get big swaths of cash in So Uh it's much more about how you're allocating that cash, which is why a service like we provide makes sense for an agency owner, because we can help make sure that you're allocating that cash appropriately. Um, But we do track that profitability. And it's just a matter of understanding what the sales pipeline is. So that's the biggest problem that our clients face is like, how strong is your sales pipeline? Because if the model is sound, it's all about making sure that you have quali- a qualified sales pipeline and then gotcha. you know, everything sort of flows through.
0: So what what I'm kind of realizing as you're talking is I think a lot of the people that you're working with have probably already gotten over this hurdle that I'm seeing, which is I talk to a lot of people who are at like 100, maybe to 200,000 in revenue who are operating at like 90% profit. And I'm like, you could probably like hire some people and work a lot less, and <laughs> maybe make yes. like your profit margin won't be as high, but you could still take home more money. Um, and I don't think maybe in some business models, but in most it's probably near impossible to get to the mid six figures kind of with that philosophy, especially obviously if you're working with agency owners, the whole point of an agency own like agency is that they're not like solo at this point anyhow.
1: Exactly. Well, and that's a big turning point, right? It's like, if you're going to hire and build out a team, like that presents a whole new dimension of business that like, yeah. you need help managing. You cannot do that on your own. You can't deliver the product, market the product, sell the product, manage a team. Like that's when things start to shift a little bit. Not everybody wants to build out a team, right? Some people are like, I'm really happy just showing up and doing this the way that I'm doing it. And that's awesome. That's not an ideal client for us. Right. Our clients have their her, their sights set on building, um, you know, multiple six seven figure business um, that you know doesn't take up a lot of their time because they've outsourced the right experts and professionals to deliver their product, you know, their service.
0: Yes, you were you were also chatting a little bit about how like basically dividing up the cash flow in the business. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the profit first methodology. Are you, are you a fan?
1: Conceptually, I am a fan in (laughs) practice from an accounting perspective. It's a nightmare. Like I think it gets really, I think it's overly complicated. I think it's enough to have an understanding. Like some people really like it because they don't have to think once it's set up, they don't have to think you can automate that, that baby, like money will show up where it needs to show up. Like, I totally get it. Um, I feel like it's too cumbersome. I like agility in business. I like being able to sort of like shift and do things differently. And I feel like profit first is just like, it's a commitment. Yeah. So I think for the right person, it's awesome. It's not really for me. Um, yeah.
0: I think it works really well for people with poor self-control, <laughs> for being <laughs> honest. Uh, because I did the profit first thing when I was pretty early in my business. and I was When I was having a really hard time, like actually paying myself money um, because I was always justifying new expenses in my business. And at a certain point, once you're, if you're able, here's the thing, like you can set up profit first. It's probably great. Uh, or since you're already in the habit of spending money, you maybe could spend some money on a life coach or a therapist on like why you have this hurdle around paying yourself money. And that must also might fix the problem. That's kind of where there I- There you went. go.
1: Yes, there you go. But you're right, like it gets at like for the right person I get why it seems I mean that book the the beginning of that book is like brilliant. I soaked it up. I was like this is incredible. So conceptually, philosophically, I'm there, but yeah. from a practical standpoint, I'm just like I don't have like that's too much.
0: <laughs> so do you have your own cash flow methodology that you have your clients implement then?
1: We do. Um, we're actually in the process of sort of um, refining out like the people first way based on my experience, my accountant's experience. She's actually coming out next week, so we can refine that.
0: Nice. Um,
1: but we do have a cash flow, you know, methodology that we use. I have one that I use too, but it's very manual. Like the way that I do it is like <laughs> to a T for myself and my own business. It's the only way I can make decisions about what to invest in, what I can afford. It's literally the only way. It saved my but in like multiple scenarios. Um, so we, we leverage it for clients, but, um, are still kind of developing our particular methodology.
0: Okay. I feel that I'm doing a little bit of the same. Um, I'm like a big, big fan of automating tax savings. So that's like the one part that I really harp on. And then, you know, maybe have like a salary allocation if you need to if you feel like you need to some like uh claire talks about um so everyone we're mentioning claire because we were chatting about my good friend claire who's been on this podcast is the one who introduced louisa and i so uh our one mutual connection and she talks about slush funds on her podcast which to me is just like another fun way to say savings account but it's like (laughs) a difference between like there's the savings account you're keeping like. For an emergency, and then the slush fund is the savings account that's like meant to be spent. So it's like I'll save it up, and then if I want to join a fancy program, do I have money in my slush fund account, right? So I I like that. I'm trying to find um, I'm trying to work that like more into my own methodology. I could nerd out on this kind of stuff all day because it's like I know me too. I
1: mean, I love it. I I found that like I could too, and I got really deep into it, and I was very and I found myself so focused on like what happens when the money comes in that I wasn't spending as much time giving myself credit to like expect that more money will always come. So how much do do these details matter? I had to like (laughs) shift my brain and be like, Louisa, if you want to like go stay at the fancy hotel, like you will make more money. It had to, like, I had to sort of push myself out of the granularity because I felt like it was holding me back a little bit. And I think that's why I'm like, yeah, profit first. Like philosophically, yes, sinking funds, yes, slush funds, yes, yay doesn't really matter if you can make a shitload of money. Like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're at the point where you got the money rolling in then, but it's also, it's also different, right? Cause I think there's some people who are like super hesitant to spend. And then there are other people yeah. like myself who like spending is my talent. And so I got to like, find a way to rein it in. Right.
1: <laughs> Everybody's different. Every yeah. and There's a solution for everybody. And so like, yeah. From I, a consultant point
0: of view, like what I have to realize is that like while cash flow is a fun puzzle and a game for me, and I like to make it complicated because it just makes it more exciting, that's not an effective way to get people results. <laughs> I need to put that like on a on a bumper sticker like for myself. Um yeah. I say as I'm currently like streamlining my entire curriculum. Um Okay. Well, we can start to wrap up here. Any other like financial wisdom you want to impart on my audience before we get to the conclusion?
1: I mean, uh, the big thing that's been on my mind lately, just because of the clients we work with is it's like <clears throat> this, like this stuff isn't hard. Like it doesn't have to be hard. What you need to pay attention to is really like the compliance piece. So people try to get like fancy with cash flow and all these accounts and all this stuff. And they're not even like, Properly categorizing the transactions that they're making in their business. And it's like step number one, if you're like, this all sounds great and it's overwhelming, it's just like make sure that every single transaction or all the money that comes into your business, you know what it is, you have it organized, like you have the receipt saved. Like if you can't master that and have something to hand over to a professional who can help you take it to the next level, like you're in trouble. It's just going to end up costing you more the longer it takes you to get organized. So compliance has been a big thing for me is just like, nail that, like master that, do what it takes to just like handle that. Because that's the core of any advisory service, tax strategy, planning, anything else like decision-making, all of that has to rely on like how accurate this information is. And so a lot of clients come to us, and that information isn't accurate. And I'm like, cool, we can't get into all the fancy stuff until we make sure that like the way money is flowing through your business makes sense and is well documented. The end. But I don't want to stay there forever. I want to have that done, make sure we have a system in place. We're handling that for you. Great. Now let's pull back. Like, woohoo. You know, so that's really like what I've been talking about a lot lately, because I think people are very easily get overwhelmed and like it doesn't have to be that overwhelming. It can be that simple.
0: yeah. And even even that portion as you know, does not need to be that complicated. For the love of God, people, if you do not already, please get yourself a business bank account or a business credit card, or hopefully both. Because when we say track all of your expenses, this isn't, here's the here's the thing, tell a short story. Um, I worked one-on-one with a client a couple of months ago, two years behind on tax returns. We had to get caught up on the bookkeeping. And this involved me going through this person's personal bank statements saying, is this business? Is this personal? I'm like, you have two different transactions from Target. Your bank statement doesn't tell me what you bought at Target. So like, I don't know if this was groceries or if this was like notebooks for your office, right? So if you just simply use a business account and a personal account, pretty much all of the organization is done. And from there, you're just categorizing and it makes it, I would say three times faster.
1: Amen. Absolutely. Like, if <laughs> anyone is listening and they're like, my find it, like, that's literally all you need to do is make sure that all of the transactions for your business are run through business only accounts. Yeah. PMed,
0: totally. And I, I would hope, Louisa, for the clients that are like at the level where they're working with you, I would hope that that's not an issue. Do you ever see that though? A little bit?
1: Yeah. People mix business and personal, and they think it's okay because they're the ones handling it all. And yeah. so in their mind, it makes sense that, oh, I do it every month and it's fine. But it's like, that's still not okay. And this is like, you know, multiple six-figure business owners that are still doing it because they can. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean you should, Yeah. because you really need somebody who can come in and make sure that all of those T's are crossed and either dotted because you're not perfect. You've got a lot of other things to do. So you say, oh, I got it. I do it every month. Does not make me feel any better about the state of your financial Yeah, because (laughs) if
0: if you're doing the books or if I'm doing the books, like I'm looking at the business bank statement so that I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to say, was there anything that you maybe accidentally paid through your personal account that may have been a business expense? And if you tell me, yeah, there were like these two things by accident. Great. I'm going to put them in. But if there were actually eight things by accident, those other six things you're not getting tax deductions for. And I'm not looking through all your personal bank statements to look for that shit.
1: Right, right. Well, and the other way too, it's like, they're like, oh, it's not a big deal. There were some expense, And I'm like, no, those are tax deductible expenses. Like you should take them. People just don't get <laughs> that. Like the, the details matter in accounting. Okay. The details, there are some instances where the details matter. This is one of them. Just making sure that every because they add up. So every yeah. transaction, if it's a business expense, please just track it. Please just. Sometimes it. I'm, I might need to
0: like, I might need to, we might need to call each other so you can hype me up because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, it's fine. Like I'm good. And then I'm like, well, no, those extra five deductions I could have gotten may have been like the Louis Vuitton bag I wanted to buy myself on vacation. Exactly.
1: <laughs> they add up. They, they add
0: up. <laughs> All right, Louisa. Well, this was super fine. Final question. Super high pressure. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So my audience knows that if they want to become one of Braden's besties, they need to go join my Facebook group, Braden's Besties, where they can ask me questions and do all of the things. If anyone wants to become one of Luisa's besties, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Oh, I love it. Well, the best way to become my bestie is to follow uh, People First Finance on Instagram. I manage that account. If you DM me or send me a message, it's me. I'm there. I'm happy to chat. Um, so that's probably the best way for us to, yeah, form a, form a connection.
0: Okay. Beautiful. And then we'll of course put all of your social links, website, and everything in the show notes. Everyone send Louisa a message, say hello. And Louisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Rated it was a blast.
0: It was indeed a blast.